even whether you're a large or small company, showing that transparency so they truly get to know you. They truly know who they're doing business with. They see behind the curtain. I think there's a real opportunity to show that. Warts and all. They're going to either find it out in practice later on and get shocked by it, or you can be up front right from the jump about In this, today's world, people want to do business with real. Mm-hmm. Real wants to do business with real. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and today my guest is Ryan Alford. Now, Ryan Alford has been in the marketing world for over two decades. He is a marketer for the modern digital business. He's influenced the digital marketing landscape since his time working with Verizon on the original iPhone launch, the NFL, and more. He currently owns not one, not two, but three successful businesses, runs his own digital marketing agency, and is the host of the national marketing podcast, The Radcast. Ryan encourages you to start a conversation with him on Instagram at Ryan Alford or LinkedIn. Hi, Ryan. What do small business owners need to focus on this week? First things first, community, building community. Mm. And the big one for, for me right now, and it really is for all sizes because you know, we still live in a COVID environment where uh, it can feel like we're really far from our customers. Whether you have a brick and mortar store, whether you sell online, whether or not you are big business, small business, there's a, the thing that's come with social distancing is this feeling of, of distance from our clients, our customers. I think everyone feels that. But now more than ever, building your email list, building your community and building a place where you can interact with your customers is more important than ever. And there's so many channels for that to happen. I think a lot of times there's paralysis from analysis, as I like to say, because there's so many channels. Uh, But with that, you've got to find out where your audience is truly at, whether whether that's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, wherever it is. But you've got to start building your community and building your list uh, because you need to be owning the relationship with your customers. The biggest thing I see with small businesses and, and specifically is that they rely on different channels for that interactivity, whether that's Facebook or whether that's where it is, but they aren't getting a direct pipeline of communication in with that customer. They're not getting, uh, whether it's an email, a phone number, or those things for SMS messaging, all of those things. You've got to be building a community for that relationship, it's both channel direct with you, but it's also, whether it's a Facebook group, whether it's uh, other things, for creating that interactivity amongst all of your customers. Because when you build a community, you are really building a place where you can build long-term business. Yes, absolutely. And I love that you're saying you build the place, right? Because in this COVID environment and in this very digital time, we don't have 
live conferences we can go to. You and I can't do a live taping of this if we happen to be in the same place. We're not going to be in the same place, right? So we have to build our own spaces and carve out our own corners of what is available. And I think that is so key. One of the favorite, one of my favorite things I ever learned about community building was back when Seth Godin wrote the book Tribes. And he said, in order for a community to function properly, you need three channels of communication. You need leader to group, group to leader, and group to group. Exactly right. Do you agree? Does that How has that changed or evolved? Or does that still ring true? No, it still rings true because, you know, what happens is, you know, <laughs> it, it brings me back to a saying like, the strength of the pack is the wolf. The strength of the wolf is the pack. And, <laughs> and so it's the same thing in business where you have to have, you know, someone that starts the group, but at a certain point, the group itself becomes the strength of, of, of it all. And when you provide that forum and, and there's so many modern ways to do this in the old, you know, 20 years ago, it was online forums. It's still online forums, by the way, uh, okay. but you've got Facebook groups. Another thing that's big is, is webinars. And, you know, we're using Zoom and all of those things, but you can actually bring people together. And one of the fastest growing social platforms, actually, that's under the table is Clubhouse. Yes. Oh, I am a high priestess of the church of Clubhouse. <laughs> I Clubhouse would eat my life if I let it, Ryan. But go oh, ahead. my God, it's such a time zap. And <laughs> you have to commit to it because it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm really active on Instagram. And that's at Ryan Alford. I'm sure you've got that link and we talked about that. But the it's I can spend three minutes on Instagram. I can do my feed. I can check my DMs. I can post something quickly or I've got it scheduled. I can spend, you know, five minutes or five hours. I don't normally, but you could. <laughs> you can. But, but but you can with any platform. But Clubhouse, you can't <laughs> to get the to get the value out of it and to get value out of it, you have to almost designate an hour. Well, at least, at least, at least the first time I hosted a room on Clubhouse, I thought it was going to be like a half hour conversation. And I wound up hosting that room for about an hour and a half. And every moment of it was valuable. But every moment of it, I also had to be on and it was exhausting. It is. And also there's 900,000 conversations you can find at any given moment about any topic imaginable. So it can creep into the corners of your calendar and just eat it. Just pack man out. Just there goes all your time. I I post on LinkedIn too a lot. And a lot of the people that I follow have been, you know, making the same comments. And I, you know, I'm always like, yeah, just be ready to spend some time. But it's a tremendous opportunity. I love it because of the value and the engagement levels and the quality of it. But you just have to really, you know, they'll, you know, carve out the right strategy, right approach and and know what kind of time zap it is. But when you're building a community, there's so many platforms now available for doing that. And it's just it's just so vital to be having that direct communication line uh, with your customers. And I think so many businesses and even like one of the things we do, we work a lot in e-commerce. We build e-commerce platforms, uh, whether it's an app, whether it's Shopify, whether it's Magento, whatever that platform may be. And the reality is there's, you know, 
again, you've got that digital experience, but how can you bring the community aspect, a lot of that through live streaming and different things? There's so many avenues now where the digital and the physical are coming together. And I think leveraging that in building that relationship in that community is just so vital. I think that's absolutely powerfully true. And I want to I wanna reiterate something you said there about using platforms like Clubhouse with intention and with strategy. Yes. Uh, because the one, the number one benefit that I'm seeing from Clubhouse, other than having fun, which is a lovely benefit, but not a very lucrative one necessarily, is that all the time I spent on my Instagram strategy is paying off anew because people are using the Instagram DM as the back channel chat for Clubhouse. And so it's really lovely that I spent a lot of 2020 really dedicated to growing my Instagram. Now I get to reap the benefits of that because I put in the groundwork to establish my Instagram as a very valuable place to hang out. If I didn't do that, similar to if I don't ask, if I don't actually make the sale, if I'm not saying, hey, if you enjoyed this, come have a conversation with me. My next event is now. My webinar is here or get into my DMs and ask me this question, or get on my email list, or whatever it is. If I'm not giving them a call to action that leads back to the pipeline, then I just had a lovely chat with some nice folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think you nailed it when you first started there with, and this would be part two, like, so community number one. Part two, have a marketing plan. And that starts with mapping out your customer journey. Because you have to know how customers are finding you, what their problems are that you're solving, and you have to reverse engineer that for what you're doing. Obviously, depending on the stage of your business, you've probably done that on some level. You know, If you've been in business three to five years, you've probably done some of that. You, you're offering something that there's demand for, but backing your way into that customer journey to see how they found you, what problems you're solving, because then that becomes the Trojan horse for how you develop content and how you answer these questions and how you develop solutions within both your community and your product or service that better answers those things. So again, community one, two, if not it related in some way is strategy and planning and cost and having, because I think what happens with small businesses, I just don't have the budget for, for marketing or I don't have this, but that doesn't mean you can't have a plan. And it starts with understanding that customer journey. Well, and marketing, having a plan will save you money, right? Because what I see, and this is a bit of a detour, but you know, my, my listeners know I teach sales. And one of the main things that I say is a major time and money pit is over-marketing. And when we over-market, we don't over-market by design. We over-market in a spray-and-pray fashion when we're trying to throw anything to the wall and see what sticks. That wastes time, money, energy, platform, right? That wastes all of that. Whereas if you plan it and you structure it, that money that you're worried about not having, you'll wind up saving because you'll invest on the things that are actually going to move the needle for you. Yep. And that's back to what I use. I use the 80-20 rule in like everything in my life. But in marketing and specifically, you know, the 80-20 rule, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers or the opportunity out there. And finding out where that 20% is, whether that's a demographic, whether that's a psychographic, Whatever that is, and that's 
the, the difference of those, and depending on who's listening, it, it's like who they are, like age, male, female characteristics or mindsets, you know, because sometimes things aren't, aren't just differentiated from age. You know, you can have an 18 year old and a 60 year old and interested in the same things. Yeah. And so that's the difference between demographic psychographic, but how you would target them and the way you would market, you can waste a lot of money if you're not dialed into what that is and who that person is, because you don't, you can't be all things to all people. No. And that's the number one thing about it. You know, I know one of your specialties is helping people figure out the riches and the niches. Yep. And and so many people have so much hesitation toward niching because they're like, well, I just want to help everybody with a pulse. And I get that. I understand the desire to help on a scale of that size. I get it. I understand that we don't want to turn people away if they need us. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I think the best thing I learned was that if you try to sell to everybody, you sell to nobody. And that if you put yourself out there for all people, you'll get lost in the wash. You'll just get blended right in. What are what are your thoughts on how you know if your niche is focused enough or too broad when you're looking at demographics and psychographics, because I very much also believe in the 80, 20 rule, but how do we, how do we have any, do you have any tips, any tricks around pinpointing more and more about that 20%? Well, it certainly helps when you're an established business and you have data at your hand and almost everyone now should have, you no matter how big your business is, you need to have Google Analytics set up on your website. You need it will tell you where your traffic's coming from, who your traffic is. It'll tell you demographics. It'll tell you all these things, and you've got to have a way to be measuring. And so again, there's no excuses. Like 10, 12 years ago, even I would say there were fewer excuses, but there were there were excuses for small businesses not having data or some of the rich uh, resources that larger companies have. But in today's environment, whether you're a two-man shop or a 20-man shop or a 2,000-person business, there's just no excuse for not leveraging data in a way that can help you build out these things. And it starts with things like Google Analytics on your website. It starts with Facebook pixels on your website. It starts with, and these are not like uber complicated things. These are, watch a one-minute YouTube video, and you can get these things set up on your website. And again, if you run a brick and mortar store, God bless you in today's environment, uh, and that's all, your only thing, then you need to be having conversations. You need, you should know who your customer set is. And that's back to kind of, again, spending time mapping out who they are. And then there are resources for knowing. Like, again, if you're in business at this stage, you've, you've hopefully mapped out and know that you have a proposition that's sellable, you know? And, and once you know that, you can back your way into who this audience is. And I think using those data resources can help you know who that is. And then there are other tools uh, out there for knowing like the sizes of these audience, even yeah. Facebook has these, you know, like of who that is. And, and again, whenever we have these kind of discussions, you want to be as specific as possible, but they're somewhat hard depending on the, the, the business that might be listening. Right. But I think one of the easiest things for me to start the process when I come up with something new 
is what kind of customers don't I want? Now, that's more of a psychographic yeah. question. Sure. But even what you said, like you've said a couple of times, and that is true to the listenership of this podcast. If you've been in business for three to five years, I knew yeah. that I wanted people that had been in business for three to five years because I yeah. decided I didn't want I call them and I'm not trying to be derogatory here, but I didn't want baby coaches anymore because I am no longer the best person in the market for building the foundation of an online business in this age. That's not where I'm focused. I am working with people who have exhausted their marketing and need to start converting more. You don't get to that point until three to five years. So for me, it was like, do I want to work with early people? No, I don't. Okay. Already, I'm starting to see, you know, the outline of what I do want by the process of elimination. Yeah, yeah, and that's how you. It is very much, and so it's no different than our business. Like, you know, I own a digital ad agency, and the clients that we work with, you know, like are sometimes determined. We've we've gotten you know niched down into three or four categories, uh, most certainly, uh, but. When I first started out, it did start by that process of like, what do we want to do and what don't we want? Who 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 are we best to help and who are, who do we not have the capability to help? We're not not interested in helping, not because we're we're better than them or don't want to, but because I, it's also back to like where you can add the most value and yes. where you can see the most the most the most success is going to be where you're driving and, and delivering the best value. Absolutely. Because I mean, there, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing to aspire to impact a ton of people on a surface level. Not knocking that. That's freaking awesome. But in the kind of transformational work that my clients are doing, it is important to them to target enough people. It's still a numbers game. You still got to get your numbers up, your list up, all that stuff. But they want to impact people on a deeper level. And the way that you do that is through all the stuff you're saying, by knowing them better from the jump so you can meet them where they are and deliver the value they need in that moment, whether you're selling a prepackaged program or one-on-ones or a mastermind or a retainer or whatever you're offering. Yep. I think that's so key. And I've got a uh, a good example. So a client that we worked with, um, they're, I, I won't name names, um, but they were in a very highly competitive market and they're an online e-commerce uh, store and they sell things. There's There were a lot of established players before them, before they came. And they thought and had the perception, no matter what, you know, they hired us to set up the, and do the nuts and bolts of setting up their e-commerce and you know that was where the relationship started and then we started to get into a marketing and advertising role with them which is you know we do a little bit of both both you know the nuts and bolts of setting up the development of of stores but then we also assist in growing uh stores and so they hired us for the first and they and they first got started once the store launched they thought it was they built it they'll come they'll sell to the masses they'll be like everyone else and we tried to tell them early on, they listened eventually that they had to niche down a bit. They had to have a unique selling proposition and they had to carve out what their positioning was. And after a couple months of kind of toiling and, and seeing limited results, 
we finally got them to sit down and we narrowed in to exactly what their differentiation was. And it turned out to be the fact it was, it, you know, in some ways it was value, which is a very broad statement, but it was more this notion they were, they had a lot of limited time assets that were for sale. And mm-hmm. so they were not a, necessarily a wholesaler, but they had like closeout things that once they were gone, they were gone. They're gone. And we leaned into that with them in driving that sense of urgency with an audience that there was demand for this because there's a lot of other players in the space. But by being it, yes, at a great price point, combined with leaning into this notion of, of, of FOMO, fear of missing out, mm-hmm. we, sales have quadrupled the last six months. And they're really starting to take off. And we're leaning to it even more with the notion of like these truly like limited time sales and like five day windows and things like that. We're leaning more and more into that FOMO. And it and again, it's kind of creating that sense of urgency because, you know, look, they have a, a product and a service that's in demand. And so it, it, this would have happened naturally over time for them. But we're stimulating more growth because of that kind of notion. And so again, it's sitting down and taking the time to carve out those unique selling propositions and those unique positionings, both combined with the data that you have, but also in comparison to your competitors. I love that. I love that so much because that's what hiring a professional or a team of professionals does is you said they would have got there themselves probably eventually after yeah. another couple months. But you already mentioned that they took a couple months for them to even want to consider niching down. Yeah. Right. So think about the difference there. All that time, all that energy, all that money lost faffing around. When you, as a professional, come in, you shorten that learning curve, you shorten that time, and you raise the you raise the opportunity for growth exponentially. And what I love in that story you just told, I am very anti gimmick, and I'm always saying like, urgency and scarcity are amazing when they work well, but they don't always work. But in that story that you just told. The urgency is baked into the process. These are closeout items on a quick timeline. Gamify what's already part of it. That is when a gimmick isn't a gimmick. That is when it's a draw. That is when it's a game. That is when it's an experience. That has real lasting staying power more than a one-time 24-hour flash sale. Yep. And, And what's interesting is, you know, leaning into that, they... You know, it'd be one thing to just say, we're the lowest price, we're the cheapest. But that doesn't alone in today's environment drive activity. You have to create some semblance. And so you can lean in, we're leaning into it even more like almost creating, I don't want to say carnival, that sounds wrong, but like <laughs> like leaning into just the the zaniness that can happen with with urgency and other things and almost a I dare say a, a weirdness to it, but it's carving out this niche for them, uh, you know, in kind of the the craziness of it. And they're building, we're building experiences as they launch products. It, you know, we're embracing that across the entire landscape of the business. Yes. Uh, and I think what 
a lot of companies do is sometimes they have success with something or they think about something and it becomes like you said, oh, it's a flash sale. We'll do flash sales. But you can take these notions that in and in, in bake them across the dimensions of the company. And uh, and that's where you start to really get some leverage and some 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 I don't know, exponential growth. That is the perfect segue because <laughs> I brought you here today with another motive. Listeners know where I'm going with this. But when I think about two very different schools of very, very established brands, I start to think about Cobra Kai. Brian, <laughs> what the heck does any of this have to do with a spinoff series of the 1980 some such classic series the Karate Kid, now available on Netflix, a.k.a. Cobra Kai. Well, I have to, I will answer that, but I have to start with some, a little bit of nostalgia. Uh, I was an eight-year-old uh, child, uh, you know, who, you know, when you back, and unfortunately, like today, we're not getting these movie-going experiences. When I was doing, watching that for the Karate Kid for the first time, uh, I'll never forget um, about breaking my neck, uh, leaving the auditorium, jumping off of the uh, the side rail that, of like in your seat, doing like crane <laughs> kicks. <laughs> For anyone that's seen the movie, uh, you know, I, I didn't actually get hurt, but it was just uh, funny just remembering back the nostalgia of it. But uh, <laughs> I tried to balance on a on a log, like a vertical log. Like if I would find like a I'm from Missouri originally, so I would find like a fence post. And I'd be like, I'm going to balance on this fence post. I'm lucky I didn't break my neck. That was my equivalent of LaRussa-ing as a kid. I'm like, I will now do this balance on this beam. No, I will now fall three feet onto my face on gravel because I'm being <laughs> faking karate. So, yes, the yeah. nostalgia is real. And, and I think that was one of the things that made me originally really hesitant about jumping into Cobra Kai is I was like, listen, if this is not going to have the tone that I need it to have, yeah. if this is not going to treat the originals with respect, I want no part of this. And my husband, who is also named Ryan, uh, was so insistent that we sit down and watch Cobra Kai because he knew that I was a karate kid kid. Oh, yeah. Like we all were during yeah. that time. <laughs> and I think we got about 15 minutes into the first episode and I got a little choked up, but I looked at Ryan and I said, it's perfect. Yes. It's just <laughs> perfect. Well, they did such an amazing job bringing in the old clips. Like I had, it's, it's got to be one of the best series ever. That's a remake of sorts from an old nostalgic movie, you know, especially eighties. Yep. where they embrace that, they bring a new spin, which they most certainly have, and that's what I'm going to build off of with, with answering your question. But the uh, but the way that they have paid homage to yes. the original movie and bringing in the old clips, bringing in the old characters, I mean, the writing is just really what's made the story combined with just the overall, you know, show. And, you know, it has its cheesy moments, but let's oh, be honest. Oh, of course it does. But it is perfect. I told my wife that same thing. She was not a crowdy kid. She's a little bit younger than me. Um, she was familiar with the movie, but didn't have the uh, the uh, uh, observance and uh, wor I won't call it, maybe worship, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that I had at the time and, and where she I held it. She didn't have it on a VHS tape. I feel like that's the thing. It's like 
especially a VHS tape that you taped off of TV. Like if it's not an old VHS that has commercials in it, you're not getting the true charm. Of that's the right. That's, that's right. But I will say this. There's always more than meets the eye. And I think what what you've seen with what they've done with Cobra Kai, like in the original movie, you had the hero, uh, which was Daniel LaRusso. Right. He's 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 Mr. Miyagi who trains him. He's being picked on by the bullies or the perceived bullies. And one of those who ends up being his true rival, which is Johnny. And he fights him in the end and he wins. And it's, you know, there went, there went, ended up being several movies based off the same premise where Daniel's always getting picked on and somehow he ends up fighting and winning at the end. And by the end of Karate Kid 3, you're like, who's picking fights with this kid? Why? <laughs> Do, have you not yeah. caught up? But anyway, continue. Not to go on a tangent. But when you think about how serious, like, uh, when he goes to Okinawa or wherever, <laughs> this is like world, New World Order kind of stuff that's going on on this island where they're fighting it. When you think about how serious the, the implications of life and death that were at play in Karate Kid 2 or 3 or whatever it was, it's like, wow, this would be heavy today. Like, you it know, like heavy today. We've come a long <laughs> way from sweep the leg, Johnny. Like, this yeah. is serious shit going yeah, on. We're fighting over land and wars and turf and, you know, <laughs> gangs and who knows what. That was all had the undertone of the humor and everything of, of Karate Kid. But when you really think about it, I've watched that like a couple of years ago. And I was like, this is actually pretty damn serious. Like, <laughs> anyway, like, this uh, is heavy. But, anyway, but, but what I love about, you know, the show, though, is they're flipping it on its head where they're actually showing you both sides of the story where they're showing what Johnny went through. The fact that Johnny came up with an abusive father, that Johnny you know, wore things on his shoulders and acted a certain way that weren't truly, you know, reflective of who he was or what he was doing. And that there's a, there's always multiple sides and there's always nuance. And yeah. I think for companies, it's an important story and lesson to learn in finding those nuances in in your business and in, in your world, because it's never what always what it seems. I think that's so incredibly gorgeous and i think that is such an amazing part of what makes cobra kai so special in its own right is exactly what you just said in the karate kid movies it's very much like daniel san is beacon of light johnny and everyone he has ever known is crap and trash and horrible and i can't believe that they would steal the girlfriend and beat him up and blah, 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 blah. And then in Cobra Kai, though, they're showing more and more that there is no hero and no villain in this story. There are imperfect humans doing the best they can based on where they are in their world. And I feel like the comparison that I see for that in marketing is negative, toxic marketing will make you the Johnny. And be like, you're messing up your life. You're squandering your time. You've always been crap and you'll always be crap. Except if you come into my dojo and let me fix your life. But instead of that, we should all be treating our clients like potential daniel sons. We should all be saying, you have something in you that I can foster. Yes, things are challenging right now. Yes, you're getting bullied relentlessly in school and you have an absent father. And yes, I'm going to make you chop bonsai trees for 
four years <laughs> while you wash my car. But but there's potential there and there's growth there. So I think that's so key that you're seeing the whole human in this situation. Now, granted, these are fictional people, right? But we're seeing their family life. We're seeing the next generation of this conflict in this town, yeah. right? And that, we're seeing that, that coddled Daniel LaRusso grows up pretty arrogant <laughs> and yeah. having nothing. Johnny has only gotten hardened over time, yeah. right? But that it just goes to show that there is a different style out there for everything and none of it is intrinsically good or bad. Yep. And I think the other parallel that I would make is the importance of businesses being transparent. You know, because again, this show is opening up the fact that you only saw the one side of the story or you didn't really understand Johnny because you always say it's a movie or whatever. But if you're transparent with your customers, you'll see success. And I think what all these channels have done, and it goes back to some of the things we really talked about with building community, you know, they want to know the good, bad, and the ugly, even whether you're a large or small company, showing that transparency so they truly get to know you. They truly know who they're doing business with. They see behind the curtain. I think there's a real opportunity to show that. Warts and all. They're going to either find it out in practice later on and get shocked by it. Or you can be up front right from the jump about. In this today's world, people want to do business with real. Mm-hmm. Real wants to do business with real. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, again, if you've got a. <laughs> too many skeletons maybe you shouldn't be doing business anyway but i think we've all got <laughs> uh but we've all got uh you know challenges and i think being up open and up front with that but uh i definitely uh get my uh get my total uh karate kid fix and everything else with with the new show and i've turned it on to a lot of people some that haven't even seen the old movie and i think most people the writing's just good in it. the writing is so good it's so enjoyable. It's the perfect tone for a Karate Kid movie, yeah. right? It just really, really is. I think similarly, I feel the same way about um, the Rocky movies and the Creed movies. Like they follow right. the formula really well, but it still feels like a Rocky movie. I love yeah. that. And I think there's a lesson and I'm probably giving away what's going to become today's episodic homework, which is about breathing new life into your formula. Yeah. Right. Like what could be a spinoff in your business? What's the next generation of what you're offering now or what you offered in the past? Maybe there's something that you can revive there, because if it resonated with people once, unless it's something that is just so totally out of place now, it probably still has that resonant magic. Do you agree? Totally agree. And that's a lot of what we end up doing with companies, depending on where they are. Uh, we work in a very consultative manner, and a lot of it is helping stimulate that discussion and that thought process for, you know, repurposing, pivoting, all of those things that, you know, that, that are important in today's environment, whether you've gotten stagnant or you feel like you've hit a wall, uh, there's always, uh, you know, another place that you can take it. All right. One goofy, goofy question for you. All right. Shoot. So the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai have both done a beautiful job of helping people find value in repetitive daily tasks, i.e. wax on, wax off, (laughs) and the like. 
you have just been handed a Padawan, right? You have just been handed a very eager, youthful, maybe it's an intern, Ryan. You just got a new intern. What mundane task would you have them do in your business that then you would try to have some lofty yeah, <laughs> I guess uh yeah, <laughs> that that is obscure. Mm-hmm. Um the uh <laughs> uh in today's I want to make it relevant to like today's like today's environment. You know, here's what I would do. Like the biggest thing for us um we have technology and data now. You know, we do being a digital agency, we do a ton of social media. And we do and have tools that do a lot of social listening for us, you uh-huh. know, with like no trends and things like that. Yeah. Um, what's funny is I would literally have them watch TikTok videos three hours a day. And that sounds like maybe they would want to do that. But this is the only way that you the only way you get better at marketing within these mediums and doing and telling stories within them is through activity within them. And so the first thing, and, and, you know, I encourage this with our people now is like, they're not going to learn these platforms from a book or from one video. You have to get inside them and engage with them and do them and and they're doing it. But, but I would give them some very specific, uh, depending on a client or a segment or things that we're doing, there'd be some more specificity and around it, but engagement within the platforms, but, you know, especially ones they didn't already know. I love the idea of your intern, like your whiny, adorable Daniel LaRusso intern being like, why do I have to watch more TikTok? I've already watched plenty of TikTok. Like, shut up, Daniel son, and watch your TikTok videos. That's hysterical. But but they'd be tasked with three or four things with catching, like observing like the behaviors in the comments, because that's the (laughs) biggest thing. Like it would change from I'm just watching this because I'm bored and I'm spending time and wasting 10 minutes to then interacting with a lens It's giving the right lens with which to watch and interact and read comments and those kind of things. So uh, again, (laughs) put strategy behind it. We've come full circle to the very beginning of the episode. And that is the perfect way for me to say, hey, Ryan. This whole episode has been about building community and having great conversations. What is the best way for our listeners to start a conversation with you? The fastest way is through DM on Instagram. Uh, You can find me at Ryan Alford, R-Y-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D, and DM me there. And I do see whether you were friends or not, I do organize my DMs there so that you know, and if you don't follow you, I will see it. I prioritize, obviously, if I'm friends with someone and it's in my like general, like someone knows me about mailbox, but I will eventually see every DM that I get. And so that's the fastest way to interact with me. And it also get, it lets you see a lot of my content. I've posted I mean, over 2000 times. I've been on the platform since 2009. So you'll get a real good uh, reference point for me, the company and what we do. Fan. Freaking fantastic. I will put that link to Instagram in the show notes, everybody. So be sure to scroll on down and start that conversation with Ryan. Ryan, it has been a blast to have you here. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And everybody, I will be back in just a minute with my final thought and your homework for the week. And it does not involve bonsai trees.
Well, hey there, listeners. What do you have that you can breathe new life into, much like Cobra Kai did for the Karate Kid franchise? Now, keeping in the vein of mid-80s nostalgia, today's episode reminded me so much of my grandpa back then. By that time, he had retired from used car sales and was playing the part of full-time grandpa slash unhired handyman pretty well. And my grandpa had a favorite acronym, APF, which stood for already paid for. Now, this was his answer if you asked him why he was wearing swim shorts with his dress shirt and suspenders to dinner instead of just going out and getting pants. Well, the swim shorts were APF or why he'd consume a cereal and Adelite and a pickle as one meal. Annie, it all goes to the same place, he'd say. A-P-F. And much like I now teach non-sleazy selling in his honor, I have also now taught many a client that tiny mantra. Not about food, though. Before buying another program, I'd say, go out and hunt down the one you bought but never opened. It's APF. That product, that program you spent all that time on and never fully launched, every single piece of that curriculum is APF. You paid for it with your cash, your time, your energy, your willpower, probably all of the above. Has it paid off yet? If not, why not? This week, your homework is simple. Replace one new idea or one new project on your to-do list with something that's APF. Here are some ideas. Go unearth the masterclass you bought and put action items into play. Revive a greatest hits blog post that's now collecting dust off in the cloud somewhere. Master a software or a tech tool that you own but know that you're underutilizing if you're using it at all. Where's that teleprompter I bought? Who knows? That's what I'm going to do. Finish something you set down but can't seem to forget about. Those unsung songs. Why are they still unsung? Or if you're already tired, use that gift certificate that client of yours gave you for self-care that you haven't given yourself the time off to use yet. Whatever you do, Do it just as diligently as Daniel-san in a karate tournament. And don't forget to let me know what comes of it. Thank you for letting me be your Mr. Miyagi today. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. If you struggle to sell because you don't know how to put a price on all that goodness in you and you don't like the way that your competitors do it, I have great news for you. You can find my free challenge, Making Selling Easy Without Getting Sleazy, anytime at www.anniepruggles.com slash easy, not sleazy. Our show is edited and produced by Andrew Sims of Hypable. Our fabulous theme tune is by Riley Horbacio, who I found on Fiverr. Our gorgeous podcast art is by Francois Vigneault, who I found on Upwork. And our marketing team is led by the unbelievably life-saving Nick Bonitatibus. Don't forget to check today's show notes for more information about our fabulous guests, plus some continuing resources and some Etsy finds from other super fans of today's topic. All pop culture elements mentioned in this episode remain the sole intellectual property of their respective owners. 
I do not own them, so please don't sue me.